Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sit, Wait, and Talk show. Cannot thank you enough for your support. It is incredible to think that in just three episodes, we have people pouring in listening to our show. Now, never in a million years would I thought that was possible, but then again, the supporters of Force Frontier have been incredible to us over the last several years, and I hope you guys are having fun with this show. It's meant to be educational and entertaining, and we're doing our best to make that possible. Now, Today, human trafficking, child exploitation, these are major issues on a global scale. And I brought my friend Kevin on from the Modern Cop podcast to shed some light as a sex crimes detective on this issue. Now, you'll find in this episode, there's a lot of things that Kevin talks about that is ugly. It's disgusting, but it's necessary for this subject matter. Human trafficking is not fun to talk about. You know, sex exploitation, not fun to talk about, but it is an important topic. And hopefully, listening to this episode, watching the movie Sound of Freedom, other resources to kind of shed some light on this issue will bring you to donating and volunteering for some of these organizations that are trying to do something about this problem. But it is a global matter. This thing has seen exponential growth since 2020 and we want to do our part guys make sure you check out saved in america operation underground railroad and so many other organizations that are doing something about this and with that out of the way guys let's get into today's episode of the sit wait and talk show welcome to the sit wait and talk show a podcast for protectors by protectors remember it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when so join us to stay ready for the fight ahead. Ken David, we have barricaded suspects with hostages at St. Dimitri's Church. This is the police. Come out with your hands up. Do it now. We have suspect movement. Entry team is in. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought we were SWAT. Aren't we supposed to just sit here and wait? Bang out! The Sit, Wait, and Talk podcast is powered by Force Frontier. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back. This is episode four of the Sit, Wait, and Talk podcast. You guys have been incredible. Everybody that listening, everybody giving us a follow, everybody leaving us a review, we cannot thank you enough. We're having a ton of fun with this show. And remember, if you want to enter in a chance to win the free Stealth 2.0 plate carrier, all you got to do is leave us a review. DM us proof of that review, and it will automatically enter you into a chance to win that. Make sure you go there to either Spotify or Apple wherever you can find our podcast and enter in that sweepstakes. Now, I want to talk about something that's incredibly prevalent in our society in this day and age and something that as of 2020, I hadn't paid attention to on the level I do now. And I thought of my good friend, Kevin, I've been on his podcast. If you haven't listened to the Modern Cop podcast, make sure you give him a listen. He is well worth it. Kevin, thank you for joining me, brother. How you been? Josh, thanks so much for having me, man. I've been good, dude. I've been good. I actually, you caught me at the right time, man. I am uh, uh, three years into sex crimes uh, as a detective, and I am I am departing that world at the end of the month. It's time to move on, go get the new experience somewhere else. I'm I'm not one to uh, to sit. Uh, funny enough, your your podcast sit sit and uh, and wait and talk. Uh, uh, I'm not one to just uh, you know kind of kind of sit and and stagnate, as it were. Uh, I'm trying to squeeze as much as I can out of this career. I got like, I don't know, 17 years to go until retirement. Uh, so I'm off to the 
the land of recruiting and retention, but uh, um, I'm happy to be on your show, man, and, and just uh, thrilled to, to see your success with your podcast. On a side note, recruiting and retention is probably one of the most important jobs in law enforcement right now because that's something we just fail to do in this day and age. It's it's very difficult. Have you found that to be the case at your department? Yeah, and with retention, we're, we're coming up with creative things, man, as far as, uh, and I say we, I, I can't take any credit for retention. That's, that's not my... Uh, uh, my game, but my city, uh, I, to their credit, um, kind of saw the writing on the wall. Uh, we have the benefit, I think, of being out west. I'm out here in Arizona, and it seems like things that happen on the east coast or on the west coast, um, we see them coming. Right? You you see it you see it coming from a long way off, and so our city has been pretty proactive in uh, doing what they can to retain us. But even still, man, I mean, you look at when a lot of uh, a lot of officers got hired there. Uh, you know, ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand and one. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, continuing forward, 0203 in that post 9-11 world, um, they were on a 20-year retirement system, and, and they're coming to the end of their long and, uh, and uh, hopefully successful careers, and they put the work in, they put the time in, and it's time to, to let them retire. Um, that being said, it does, it does suck. I remember we had earlier uh, in 2023, our, I think our longest-serving homicide detective retired, and he walked out of the building, dude, and it was like getting the the wind sucked out. You you just knew, like, oh shit, that was a major resource that we had who's who's leaving. But I mean, retention too, brother. It's uh, um, an interesting concept. I had a discussion with my chief a few months back, um, and uh, he's fairly involved with the IACP, the uh, International Association of Chiefs of Police, and and he brought up an interesting point that you're going to see more and more officers only shooting for like that ten year career, and then they're out. Uh, if even that, they're coming in, get some experience, get a, uh, you know, a, a few stories under their belt and uh, get some good training. And then they're going off into the private sector. And, and I hadn't really considered that um, as a, as an option or as a challenge that we were going to have to face. Uh, I think when it comes down to it, ultimately, Josh, the job that you and I do, man, uh, different sides of the, uh, different sides of the same coin, really, um, you know, between tactical operations, uh, patrol work, detective work, um, we do it. Uh, you know, not, not, we're not chasing those recruiting uh, bonuses, right? I mean, there's agencies in California dumping 70 G's uh, into, uh, you know, oh, hey, you come work for us. We'll give you 70,000 over, you know, a five-year period or whatever it is. Um, and ultimately, we're, we're in the jobs that we want not to be mercenaries. If that was the case, we'd just chase that money around the, uh, the country. But um, we're in it because it's a, a higher calling uh, for us. So, and, and again, I think a lot of that comes down to, and I'm getting way off, off into the weeds on this one, but this is my new passion project. Um, uh, comes down into like societal impacts, especially on the areas that you work uh, out here in Arizona, man. Uh, uh, suburb of, of Phoenix. We've got a lot of support from our community. Um, and it, it, it doesn't make it, uh, it's not, you're not slogging through getting to work every day, right? And just getting beat down by, uh, by people who think they know what your, what your job is. But really have no clue. I'm, I'm lucky enough to work in a city where uh, by and large, I mean, if I had to throw a, you know, one of those made up statistics out there, bro, I, I'd say 90, 95% of the people in my, my town love us um, or, or at least are, are willing to be respectful of us and work with us. So it's a, it's a whole new world that I'm learning that recruiting, recruiting pool. You know, when you and I got hired, man, I think it was uh, well, shoot, when I got hired, it was like two days of testing and they capped the testing at 750 people each day. And now we're lucky to get 35 people through the door of a test, man. Um, and, uh, but 35 now versus what was, you know, 10 
a couple of years ago. Um, so I think, I think the pendulum's starting to move again and, and hopefully in the right direction. And uh, cities are starting to understand that you can't just let crime run rampant around. You got to let your cops do cop work and you have to trust them to do the right thing. We're not out there thumping people with mag lights. That's just not, that's not police work anymore. Um, we're smarter, we're better, we're faster. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're learning how to uh, conduct ourselves in a much more uh, professional and efficient manner. Right. I mean, it's no longer just the same old defensive tactics that doesn't work. You've got agencies that are actively pushing for Brazilian jiu-jitsu training um, uh, and, and utilizing that out in the field and seeing their use of force complaints come way down, their uh, you know, officer injuries come way down. So all in all, man, it's going to be an interesting challenge moving into recruiting. Um, going to uh, my first conference next month out in Las Vegas. If anybody's going to be out there, drop me a DM. We'll, uh, we'll say hi. I'll get you a patch. Um, and I'm curious to see uh, what I learn at that, uh, at that retention. Because you and I look at it, man, I, in re- recruiting, I look at, at uh, Instagram profiles like Dark Horse Lionheart or the, the guys that make our job look really, really cool, right? The blinky lights at night and the rain on the streets, that kind of stuff. Uh, and I think that there's something to that and to, you know, the kind of the lights and the video work. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, I need barrel-chested crime fighters who want to do work. So that's, that's I think, what we're all looking for. No, that's awesome. I wish you the best of luck on that venture. I mean, you know, spending any amount of time in sex crimes, any type of investigative work is incredibly daunting. I'm not speaking from firsthand experience. I just, you know, guys around the office, you know, the stuff they're dealing with, it's like, man, that is not for me. I'm good. I'm on patrol. Like, but that's what I love about this conversation. Love what I love about having you on is that we have that that dialogue. You know, we're cops at the end of the day, but you know, different sides of the coin. We're doing different things, and there's a need for, like you said, those guys that want to do police work, and then after you get into that, you start figuring out what path you want to take in the job, and uh, I'm glad you're uh, I'm glad you're doing what you want to do. I'm glad it's something by choice and, uh, you know, moving on to, you know, something new. I mean, I, I'm in that same boat. I want, you know, yeah. maybe that's the millennial cop, you know? I don't know. <laughs> that We want we wanna to experience I think a lot is, of things. Man. I think yeah, I think, I think that's exactly it. It's a generational difference. Uh, I, I talk a lot about generational differences in law enforcement. Um, on, you know, I've talked about it on my show. I talk about it with my peers. Um, and my peers span generations, right? We're seeing our Gen Z cops coming in now, and then I work still with a handful of baby boomers and, and the Gen Xers, absolutely. Um, uh, and uh, the, that generational difference is we really want to experience as much as we can because I think we, we started to realize how short life can be, especially when you're a police officer. The statistics are out there. I mean, national average uh, age of death, uh, our, our age of death as, uh, as an average as police officers is 25 years under that, right? You're looking at 55, 57 years old if you don't take care of yourself. Uh, and we're starting to realize that, but it, it also comes down to, you know, you we, we grew up, man, the millennials grew up with a lot. If your parents were any good, um, and I, I'm very fortunate to have the parents that I had, you can do anything you set your mind to. I mean, my mom and my dad hammered that home. My dad sold a dirt bike in 1982, 1983, and used it to make a truck payment. Started his, uh, his pest control company, ran that thing for 40 years until he realized my sister and I didn't want to take it over. Um, and that's kind of how, how I was raised and how I was brought up with, hey, you got a dream out there, chase it. I mean, I was watching Columbo when I was eight years old, and I was like, holy shit, I want to be a detective. That sounds really cool. Now, 2017, 2018, when I came onto the job, I'd have told you you were out of your 
damn mind if you said that I was going to be a sex crime detective. I worked for a sex crime, former sex crime detective. And I told her, I was like, I don't know how you did that job. I want nothing to do with it. And then sure enough, man, one of my mentors, a uh, patrol sergeant I had um, in 2019 left the road to become the sex crime sergeant. Um, and I had it in my mind that I was going to follow him, uh, you know, into that role because, uh, or at least into the detective bureau, because again, he was a mentor of mine, somebody I had a lot of, still do have a lot of trust and faith in. Um, and I ended up shadowing our family violence unit and our sex crimes unit. And I came to the conclusion with sex crimes um, and, and family violence as well, man. But I was DV calls, as, as you well know, man, from patrol, you know, those DV calls, you end up running into the same families over and over and over again. And it's this revolving door, this cycle of violence. Um, and, and we can talk about that a little bit more too, because it's prevalent over on the sex crime side. Um, but I was talking to uh, one of our senior sex crimes detectives who still works there. She's now our, our sex offender registry uh, and tracking detective. Um, and the way that she presented it just, just stuck with me. And ultimately what I concluded is, and no shade at all to detectives in, in property crimes, uh, you know, arson, burglary, auto theft, things like that. Um, but if somebody steals my car, somebody wanders into a target parking lot, swipes my forerunner and drives it uh, off into the sunset. Well, I have insurance that can fix that. I can get a new forerunner and a year from now, that'll just be, ah, damn, you know, yeah, I got my forerunner stolen, but Hey, I got this new one from this insurance payout. Um, the victims that I work with in my agency, you do not differentiate between, uh, detectives for adults and detectives for children. We, we handle all cases. Um, what's taken from sex crimes victims and victims of sex trafficking, uh, specifically as we'll get into, um, there's no insurance for the soul, right? There, there is no uh, replacing what has been taken from these victims. You can only do what you can to help them heal and. Uh, the truth of the matter is, as a detective, I have a very small part in that. I hope to be able to bring them closure uh, far too frequently with, with sex crimes investigations. Man, it's the nature of the beast. Um, something like uh, less than half of all sex crimes even get reported to law enforcement. Uh, there's a stigma associated with it. There's this, this feeling that nothing will get done. And the unfortunate reality is of what's reported to law enforcement, I think the statistic is somewhere around 34% actually get charged. So that's me saying I've got probable cause. I've got PC to arrest this person or to charge this person. I'm going to submit my charges to the district attorney or the county attorney or the AG, whatever the case may be. Um, and of the cases that get submitted, less than 1% actually get prosecuted. And that's a pretty heavy statistic to carry around. And it's an uncomfortable conversation to have with somebody that, you know, we, we say, um, we're neutral fact finders, right? It's, it's not up to me to believe one person more than another. Uh, I believe facts and evidence. And you feel a little bit like a robot saying that, um, but that's, that's what these investigations come down to, man. I've, uh, uh, I've, I've exonerated some people of accused of sex offenses uh, because I can clearly show that it didn't happen um, or what they're being accused of didn't happen. But I have also had to call way too many victims and go, hey, I'm sorry, there's really nothing more that I can do on this case for now. Uh, Arizona is a little bit different. We've got, for some sex crimes, uh, they can be charged up to the natural life of the offender. Um, you know, something like, like DNA, as good as it is now, DNA testing is only going to get better. Um, uh, so it, it's, it's a vast and, and storied world that I work in, man. And, and after three years, uh, I've learned a lot. I'm looking forward to eventually getting back onto patrol and bringing this knowledge with me uh, back to a patrol team. 
uh, be it as a patrol officer, or as a supervisor. I'm not quite sure where the world's going to take me yet, but uh, uh, yeah, well, I, I'm looking forward to diving into this conversation, man. It's almost going to be cathartic. I think, I, I think you're, you're doing me a therapy service. I should probably be paying you like 250 bucks an hour. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's one of those, it's like you're departing and uh, you know, let's talk about it real quick. Let's vent. And uh, you know, but I think I, I love what you're saying about, you know, the, there's no repairing the soul. I mean, there are endless resources out there. Let's say DV advocate stuff. Um, there, there's all kinds of resources out there for people. Rarely they take advantage of it. It's government run. Yep. So, you know, there are, it's it has its limitations, right? And, and that's impactful. I mean, that's, that's, that's a that's a huge problem because you know like you said there is that stigma with it there is that can i repair this is it worth it and and a lot of times it's it's family members saying to the victim hey you should report this hey you should report this it's not even their own motivation to do it it's this really weird side of law enforcement that we deal with that is frustrating for us because, and even more so obviously for the victim, but it's so frustrating for us because it should be easier. But of course, in many of these cases, there's a lack of evidence. There's a lack of, you know, you might not always get a sane kit on some of these crimes. And when right. it's he said, she said, and all that, it, it makes it very difficult to prove. But you have to do your part as a detective to say this this happened or it didn't happen, right? It's just as important to protect somebody from, you know, wrongful um, accusations on some something like that as it is to protect the victim of an actual crime um, is definitely right. something that I found on patrol to be very discouraging because like you said, the 1% actually get prosecuted. I mean, 100% a reality of the job. Yeah, and, and I know that if you go and, and, and again, I... I don't know that there's any one person to uh, to put blame on, and I don't think that anybody should get put blame on themselves. I mean, you get somebody who who waits, uh, you know, 30 years, uh, and that's an extreme example. It's happened, but somebody who waits an extended amount of time to disclose uh, a sexual offense. Well, you've blown your window of opportunity for biological evidence. Uh, it's 120 hours is, is at least what we operate off of, five days. Um, and if it's touch DNA only, uh, then you're looking at maybe 24 to 48 hours. Um, and so somebody who, who waits and waits and waits, and again, it, it comes down to stigma. And I have no, um, I, I've said it, no shame, no ill will towards these people who wait. I've never been in their shoes. Far be it for me to judge that person and their decision to, to wait. They, the amount of courage that it requires to come in and sit down, think about it, man. Think, you know, 20-something-year-old female sitting across from me. I'm 33 years old. Uh, some dude that she's never met before, and she's got to talk about a whole lot of personal stuff, man, or or even a, a male victim as well. Um, you know, I, I would even say that there's a greater stigma there because how how the hell did you become a, a victim of an of a criminal sexual offense? You're a, you're a dude. Um, you know, I've had um, gay men sit across from me. Very, you know, they're they're sitting there trying to figure out how to put this into words, and it's like, hey, I'm not here. I I have no judgment towards you. Um, I can only do my job if you give me as much information as you're willing to give me. Um, and I, I mean, then you get me uh, or, or a detective like me. And, and like you said, you work through the investigation and you either come up with probable cause or you don't. I mean, that's really what it comes down to at the end of the day. And if you do, and okay, I've sat there, I've met my statutory definitions. 
Well, then it's got to go to the DA's office and then a prosecutor's got to look at it and make the determination from there on whether or not, yes, you do have probable cause. Yes, you've met all your statutory definitions. Um, but hey, this is just not a strong case. This is not something that we're going to win in trial. I've got my own opinions on that, um, certainly, but I don't know that I don't know of any prosecutor who, when they send a turndown notification, uh, sits there and goes, oh, good, I got that one off of my plate. I, I genuinely don't think that that's how how it goes. I mean, we we feel a lot of these uh, investigations at every level and uh, and having to tell somebody that we're not able to move forward or we're not able to get them the outcome that they were maybe thinking of. And, and don't let a detective ever lie to you, man. Every detective has worked a case where we know the person that we're investigating is guilty as shit. There's just nothing that we can do to prove it per statute, right? We don't operate off of this, like, I've had to tell people, look, I'm not the ethics and morals police. I operate off of literally it. It is almost a dictionary definition in the Arizona revised statutes. Does it fit these words? And all of these words, there's a whole glossary of terms. Sometimes those words don't think what don't mean what you think they mean. And that can be incredibly frustrating to sit there and navigate through. I mean, I, I was trying to close a case uh, uh, today and I sat there and was like, okay, you know, after, and after three years of doing this, I'm still going, okay, yes, check. Okay, check. Yep. Okay. Oh, hey, cool. Yeah. All right, cool. I've met the, the requirements for charging on that one. Um, but it's just, uh, I, I don't know what my expectation was becoming a sex crimes detective. Um, but now looking back with that, that clarity of, of hindsight, man, the 2020 clarity of hindsight, um, I still would tell myself to get into it. I, I still would go back to Kevin in uh, in 2020 and and say, hey, yeah, you need to test for that spot and you need to take that role. Because uh, I've had some good cases, man. I think I've made a decent impact uh, on my community and the world around me. And I've, I've met some really outstanding people. I've met some extremely resilient human beings um, who sat across from me and, and just poured their souls out. And they're still able to stand up in a, in a courtroom or they're still able to stand up uh, and, and talk to me at the end of the day. And it's uh, truly eye-opening. To, to conduct some of the work that we do. No, it's it's one of those jobs that's just nobody wants to do it, but it's worthwhile. I mean, it's something that you you get validation from doing it, and you know you're doing something that is important. I mean, I know for me, like I was saying before, kind of in the beginning of the episode, I didn't pay attention enough to ultimately what we were getting into is human trafficking. And it was in, I remember it distinctly, it was 2020, COVID, nothing going on. I watched this movie trailer, man. It was as simple as that. And you're thinking, what, you know, it's not often a movie, you know, because a lot of this Hollywood nonsense uh, just doesn't intrigue me. You know, I know it's, I know fact from reality, or excuse me, I know um, reality from fiction. And when I'm watching a movie, I know that it's a movie, right? But when I saw the trailer for right. Sound of Freedom, it was like, wow, what is this? Uh, you know, this guy giving up his job to ultimately pursue these children that are being trafficked all across the world and ultimately finally watched it recently. And man, was it an incredibly heavy movie, but moving. And I started looking into OUR, Operation Underground Railroad. There's a lot of nonprofits out there that are doing what they can to rescue these children. And while we're talking about the prosecution side of things, me and Kevin, saving these kids would ultimately be, you know, our goals in law enforcement. At the local level, it becomes very difficult given 
kind of the underground nature of it. But getting into some of the statistics, anywhere from, because there's varying statistics, 25 to 50 million people are trafficked on any given day. Now, this includes children. This includes adults. This includes for labor. This includes for sex. And that number alone is 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 hard to even read but i mean it's a reality that we face and again movements like operation underground railroad saved in america and and this movie that you know that is ultimately making the rounds it wasn't like when i was watching this it wasn't like i was watching taken you know it's not liam neeson kicking a bunch of people's butts and this it's this dad this protective dad that is saving his child it was like no this this movie is trying to tell me something this is like a message like this is the world we live in and you don't even know it i mean that that to me is a very scary thought yeah they i was at the dallas crimes against children conference in uh 2022 uh i recommend anybody in 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 sex crimes uh investigations or or domestic violence or or crimes against children icac um icac's internet crimes against children icac has a separate conference in uh, i think seattle every year I've, i've not been to that one i'm not an icac detective um, though some of my work does uh, cross into that realm uh, on on occasion, uh, but the, the Dallas Crimes Against Children conference, I, I can't remember the presenter. I, I'd have to go back through my notes, but they had a line that stuck with me, and I use it now when I teach classes at my community level uh, within my city. Is that uh, your children are being abused and trafficked at the dinner table? You don't even know it. There's a line in I just watched Sound of Freedom uh, this last weekend for the first time ever, um, and there's uh, a line in that movie that, that I've heard time and again, and, and it's never any less truthful. And it's uh, talking about, I think it's, it's more of a voiceover of the main character talking about the prevalence of human trafficking. And a drug, right, you take a marijuana plant. Well, and I know marijuana is legal in, in a lot of places now, um, but, but let's just operate off of that. You take a marijuana plant. Um, and you cultivate that down into its necessary pieces for you to, to, to sell that. Well, then it's gone, right? Once you sell it, it's done. You're going to get street value in Phoenix of, uh, you know, 20 or 30 pounds of marijuana. Um, used to be, I don't know what it is now with everything being legal, but it used to be somewhere, somewhere north of like a hundred thousand dollars. Um, and I could be completely wrong on that. I'm not a narcs guy, but I was just reading in a book, uh, uh, written by a former narcs guy yesterday. And I'm pretty sure I'm recalling that correctly. Um, Whereas the human body, while it does degrade over time, a human being can be sold over and over and over and over and over again. Um, and that doesn't even include, we're talking about the, the trafficking of physical human beings, right? The actual like breathing, pumping blood, human body. Um, images and videos, child sexual abuse material, used to be called child pornography until we changed the definition. I say we being the, the global we. Change the definition. Pornography implies some sort of consent. Pornography uh, is a career field, uh, right? There, there is that is a legal thing that people engage in in exchange for. That is their. That is how they make their money. That is how they make their living. Um, whereas child sexual abuse material actually defines the issue at hand. An image of a child. The the ICAC detectives that I work with will drop some crazy knowledge on you, like, uh, oh yeah, these these people are trading images in their own sick and twisted little jackass club online. Um, and here we're, we're finding all these images. We go hit the house on a warrant. We pull all their drives or their phones, whatever the case may be, access their, their cloud data. 
and uh, I images are identified with known victims, and it's it's images that are truly fucking horrendous. Um, uh, I've had to see some of it. Um, wish I could unsee it, uh, but well, again, and kind of a necessary thing, right? I have to be able to talk about this in a court of law, potentially, uh, with some form of like, yes, I've actually experienced this. Uh, but these images of like babies and toddlers and the horrendous things that are being done to them. And this ICAC detective is telling me, yeah, that baby is now like 27 years old. That person's identified. They are a known victim. They are listed as the victim. Uh, and this image is traded all around the globe. I mean, images from Southeast Asia, uh, images from Eastern Europe, but that shit's happening here in the United States too, whether or not people want to, uh, whether or not people want to believe it. And that image can be traded indefinitely. That image doesn't degrade. That image doesn't, you know, finally just give up. Um, or that video doesn't finally just give up. It keeps going and going and going. And uh, the unfortunate reality of the internet is that once something's uploaded to the internet and then into the dark web, the mystical, magical dark web, uh, it's there for all time for somebody to access. And so it's, it's one of those things, man, where you, you almost get a little discouraged as an investigator because you're like, well, how the hell am I ever going to combat this? Uh, I mean, you and I have now both seen the film. Um, I enjoyed it. it there, there was uh, a lot of uh, truth to it. One thing that I appreciated as a sex crime detective, I've never seen it in another show. Um, I, I didn't really watch Law & Order SVU, so maybe it was in there. I don't know. Um, and yet you wouldn't catch it if you weren't in this business. Um, but right when he recovers, or I should say rescue, uh, right when he rescues that little boy, um, uh, there's a, it cuts to a scene of the main character standing in a hallway at, I think it's his like HSI building, and a nurse opens the door and escorts the little boy out. Well, that's a forensic nurse examiner, a sexual assault nurse examiner, kind of depends on, on your county's definition. Um, that is a crucial detail. Uh, granted, that character in that film says that there's obvious signs of sexual trauma or sexual abuse. Uh, your nurses don't really say that. That's a little outside of their scope. They just tell you if there is or is not injury. But I thought that that was a great detail uh, in that film. Uh, and then his statements about the human body can be traded and trafficked over and over and over again. A very, very accurate statement. And it's something that the, the American public needs to hear. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 when you hear that line, it's like gut-wrenching. But yes. for, for, for anybody in the field or anybody that's experienced anything like that, you have to be, you know, when you're documenting, going back to what you were saying on, uh, you know, having to review this material, you have to be able to document it as accurately as possible. So when you're doing your interviews, when you're talking to people, it has to be, you know, you and I joking around and we say, you know, something inappropriate, <laughs> you know, joking around. But when you're typing things out, it is what it is. You know, when you're saying genitalia, you're, you're documenting all of that out. And again, it's uncomfortable to talk about it. It's uncomfortable to have this conversation, but it's incredibly necessary. And when, and when they had that point in the movie, it was like, I remember thinking to myself, I was like, wow, okay. You know, the stakes are, now, could not I, I be will higher. Say, oh, yeah, absolutely. I will say this. So I, I, again, having just saw the movie, I mean, two, three days ago, when it first came out, I had a dude, uh, I can't, it used to be my neighbor. I can't remember if he was still living next door, but, uh, he hit me up and, and he was like, dude, I just saw sound of freedom. 
I was like, oh, cool. Like, was it good? I haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen it yet? And a little part of my brain when people are like, what do you mean you don't watch Dateline? What do you mean you don't watch Law & Order SVU? I fucking live it, right? Like, I don't <laughs> I, I want to depart that world, right, when I come home. There's a reason I still play Halo as a video game, right? It's just so far removed from anything I actually have to do in my real day-to-day life, right? I come home, I want to see my wife, hang out with my four-year-old son, uh, play with him a little bit, and then just kind of zen out. I read books. I generally, unless I'm reading it to interview somebody uh, on a show, I don't really read books about uh, law enforcement activities uh, unless it's historical in nature, generally speaking. I, again, I just try to remove myself from it. But he was like, dude, is that what you do on a day-to-day basis? And I'm like, well, I, I haven't seen the movie, man. But no, like, I, yeah, I've done a little bit of human trafficking investigations sort of kind of, um, you know, we're, we're starting, I think, as a as a organization or as a, a career field. Quick interruption, everybody. We want to direct you to our YouTube channel. Listen, we're a bunch of dumb cops. We like to teach, we like to educate, and we like to entertain. But the fact is, video editing isn't our strong suit. So we recently hired a video editor to take our content to the next level. We plan on pushing out a ton of videos in 2024, And we'd love to see you over there on our YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe so you can stay up to date on all the videos. And with that, let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, so I think we're starting to move away from prostitution. Yes, prostitution exists, right? It's the uh, story that is the oldest career field in human history. Um, But we're recognizing a lot of prostitution comes down to human trafficking. uh, Because prostitutes, very rarely are they their own employer, right? They're usually having to, uh, they've got to send their money up to, up to their pimp. Um, uh, and that's an entire world that I, I don't operate in. Uh, when I engage, uh, in investigations involving human trafficking, it usually involves, uh, juveniles. So, um, but it's just, uh, it's kind of a wild world, man, that, uh, that we operate in. And, and as we move through these human trafficking investigations, I, I remember like, well, I don't know exactly what the movie's about, but yeah, I do a little bit of human trafficking here and there. Um, but more on the sense of like, victims of sex crimes. Usually somebody comes to me after they've been uh, uh, trafficked or after they've engaged in some sort of prostitution behavior. And again, uncomfortable truth time, there are minors engaging in prostitution in exchange for drugs and money. That's just a thing. They, they are legitimately, they are okay with it, at least in that moment. And by the time they come to us as sex crime detectives, usually a little bit of time has passed uh, or their parents have found out. And then they're, they're coming to us as, as victims of, of these uh, uh, like minor and I say minor, M-I-N-O-R, um, minor sex offenses, uh, juvenile sex offenses. But I, I remember I didn't really have an answer for him. I was like, no, I, I don't think I really do the stuff that you see in the movie, but it's, it's kind of the same, same sport, right? Same ball field. And then I'm watching the movie the other day, and they tackle that fucker out of the chair while he's like actively downloading CSAM. And I went, I mean, my job would be a hell of a lot cooler if I did that. I, I mean, I guess that would be pretty neat to just like, but I've never, I've never picked a lock to access a home on what I'm assuming is a search warrant. They didn't cover all the paperwork part of it. Um, and I've never tackled somebody actively downloading CSAM out of a chair uh, in, in their little weird fetish room. Um, so no, in that sense, I do not uh, have a job similar to what you see uh, in the sound of freedom, but I did, I had to kind of chuckle at that part. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm wondering if this is what he was asking me, but also I've never gone to Nicaragua or any other like non-permissive environment to, to recover victims of a crime. So, uh, no, I think that, uh, that, that job, uh, what, what he's demonstrating in there and he does, he kind of goes, 
he goes a little rogue, man. Uh, you know, he's, he's on the phone to his HSI supervisor um, getting his ass chewed out about you've spent X number of dollars of taxpayer money and absolutely not get your ass on a plane. You're coming home. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, he, as you said at the beginning, he, he decides to quit his job, um, right? And has that conversation with his wife um, and, uh, and carries on. And I think what's really neat uh, about him is that, uh, and, and some shit's come out about him now that may or may not be true. I don't know. I don't follow all the court proceedings um, that, that are coming out of the woodwork. But two of the kids that he rescued, um, like no family could be located. So he adopted those children with his wife and is now raising them in, in uh, what is, you know, hopefully a much more protective environment than, than certainly what they've been exposed to in the past. Um, but, and, I, and I commend he and his wife for, for that uh, and taking that challenge on, uh, because as I've, as I've said already, there's no insurance for the human soul, right? It can't be repaired. Um, you can only really work to move past it. And anybody exposed to human trafficking is going to have some form of trauma that they're going to carry around with them. They're going to need, uh, you know, sexual trauma therapy and counseling services. Uh, and it's going to be a long and drawn out healing process. I had a girl come in. Uh, this case has been adjudicated. I won't go into too much detail about it, though. Um, but 30, I remember she laughed at me because I think she told me that I was like, I was born in 1990, and she told me I was like three or four years old when she was abused. And she's sitting there shaking her head like, really, this is the fucking guy that's going to investigate this for me? It, like, you were a baby or a toddler when this happened to me. I'm like, well, Yep, I'm who you got, you know, looking around like, yeah, I'm going to do my level best. It doesn't matter how old I was then. I'm now a sex crime detective and here I am. Um, and ultimately working with um, another uh, county investigator in another jurisdiction in a different part of the state um, where this dude had moved to. We got this guy in for 22 years in DOC. Um, and and my victim story was part of that that success in the criminal prosecution and uh, the criminal justice system. So. It's just, uh, it's kind of wild, man. But the movie overall, I recommend people watch it uh, and, and see it for themselves and go in and look at the statistics. We t <clears throat> excuse me, we talk a little bit about CSAM, child sexual abuse material, and you talk about 2020. And before 2020, having not really, you know, heard much about it, well, there is something to that. The statistics on it, um, it jumped something between 2019 and 2020, or, or from the, you know, you look at the stats from a point in time in 2020, I think it was like, March to March. Um, once you get into 2020, that, uh, you know, March, April, May, June, kind of moving into summer, there's something like a 500 or 5,000% increase in uh, CSAM image sharing online. And it's because everybody's stuck at home, right? And, and these people who may not ordinarily have gone down that rabbit hole um, can now do so with impunity. They're not expected to go out and involve themselves in society. No, stay home. Just get get your shots. Stay home and be good, right? Don't go outside. Don't talk to people. Don't don't interact with people. Um, physical sex offenses, I think, went down. Domestic violence went up, um, and then this this human trafficking or online image sharing increased so fucking exponentially high that it's almost like untrackable. It it is absolutely uh, absolute insanity. And then you look at the people, if I may continue on my soapbox. Um, who are engaging in human trafficking. And it's not this like seedy Eastern European dude with the chest hair and the wife beater and the 14 gold chains and the gold teeth and the rings. I mean, probably, 
no, it's fucking teachers. It's, it's Navy F-18 pilots. Uh, there was a video, uh, like a documentary. I can't remember what it's called. I can see the cover of it. Uh, when I was at that conference in Dallas, I, I got to uh, sit in on a, a pre-screening of that. And this Navy pilot would um, like sexually extort these girls all over the world, all minors. Um, just sort of wherever his ship was pulling into port, he'd hit them up on online, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, uh, some other apps. And he'd get pictures of them and um, uh, he would, you know, engage in, in with them. Um, and one of the girls ended up committing suicide and, and through the entire criminal justice process, that guy was dishonorably discharged from the Navy. He's serving time in prison. Um, but he had a, a literally a global reach and he was going to those places on taxpayer dollars, no less. Right. Um, as opposed to somebody being limited to just sitting in front of their laptop. Um, and so it, it's everywhere, man. I mean, it's, it's cops, dude. There are, I'm not going to sit here and, and beat around the bush. There are cops who do this shit. Um, firefighters, teachers, nurses, doctors, um, commercial airline pilots. I, I had a case, uh, involving a commercial airline pilot. Um, and ultimately I wasn't able to, to get charges on the guy. It just didn't work out that way. Um, and it's just insanity when you take a step back and you're like, holy shit, this is so prevalent and it really is everywhere. And it's everywhere here in America. Now this is just you and I speculating, but you're talking about this, you know, exponential increase in 2020. Everybody's kind of sitting around, you know, some people might be going down that rabbit hole. Do you have any, and this is just speculation, do you have thoughts on why that is? I mean, why, maybe from interviews that you've had or anything, why are people downloading this material? Why are they viewing it? Why are people trafficking people? I mean, especially the, especially the uh, you know, the CSAM stuff, I don't understand. I, I don't know if, you know, you and I are, will ever understand that, but do you have some more insight on maybe based on your interviews? I don't think I'll ever understand it, man. And, and I have a kind of a saying that I use with people and I tell them, look, it would be disrespectful of me to tell you that I understand because I've never sat where you're sitting before. And I say that to both suspects and victims. Uh, and it's the truth, right? I've never, you know, I, I can't go out to somebody like you and I work in patrol, contact somebody on the street, somebody transient. And they're telling you their life story about how everything's all fucked up and the world's so against them. You can't fucking sit there and tell them, oh, I understand where you're coming from. Hell no, you can't, right? You had no idea. And I think the same goes for suspects and victims involved with human trafficking, sex offenses, child sexual abuse material. As I understand it, the sharp increase, uh, correlation doesn't necessarily equal causation. So can you squarely put the blame on COVID and the lockdowns? No, uh, but there's got to be I think in that case, a little bit of correlation and a little bit of that causation um, with the lockdown, uh, because not only do you have people now accessing more and maybe getting a little bit curious about it, and maybe they've got some, you know, some fetishes that they haven't quite worked through. Um, but uh, you also have some of these kids, because um, you got to remember, it's not just, it's not just like little seven, eight year olds, man, it's teenagers. Um, I have talked to far more teenagers engaged in, in prostitution activities and, uh, uh, you know, victims of sexual exploitation uh, than I have uh, like little, little kids. And uh, I think a lot of them got bored and it was like, yeah, I'm just talking to this guy. And, and so far as this person's aware of this dude's, a, you know, he's just another 15 year old. He says he goes to my school. 
Well, he says he goes to your school because your fucking profile is completely open. And at the top of your Instagram bio, it says your high school and your graduation year. So he can do quick math on that. And your, your profile is completely open. So he knows that you live in Los Angeles County or, or you know, wherever the hell, it, you know, in the States. Uh, um, so you get these dudes that are sort of emboldened by the keyboard and, and, and the anonymity of it. And they think they can get away um, with just, you know, uh, hypothetical can get away with murder um, in, in conducting themselves online. And they get these images, you know, these real-time images. And these real-time videos, it's their own requests, right? I want this girl to do this thing on, on a video and send it to me. And it gets into, uh, you know, it goes into a little bit of the grooming behavior. And so I think a lot of it, man, like in 2020, people were fucking bored, dude. And people were, were emboldened by the fact that they didn't have to engage in society. And again, this is speculation and opinion. Um, and people were um, more heavily reliant on computer and mobile devices than, than I think we ever had before, because even my own agency, right? If you weren't working patrol, you weren't at work. You were, you were working remote from home. Um, unless you had to come into a, to a station. And even then it was like, cool detective units, one person, maybe two, if you sit far enough, far enough apart from each other, you guys can come in. If you have to like view images or conduct an interview, whatever the case may be. So, yeah, I think with, the correlation with it going from 2019 to 2020, uh, I, I would lean heavily towards COVID and the lockdowns. Um, the interesting thing now that, that I see a lot of, man, and it, not necessarily in my own interviews, um, but just across my agency with, uh, with the various units that investigate some of these offenses that we've talked about, is that everybody that's committing these crimes knows what they're fucking doing and they're aware of how illegal it is. I mean, I'll dump a cell phone and we'll literally read text messages of like, Oh yeah, I gotta be careful, you know, cause the cops and everybody's, you know, well, human trafficking, right. Or sex trafficking, rah, 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 rah. like you're aware of it and you're still fucking doing it. Like what? Really? Oh, well, you know, I didn't know that I get caught. Well, surprise. Here we are. I got, I got that van out there that says internet crimes against children parked in the front of your house and your entire neighborhood for everybody to see. Not sorry about that. Uh, and uh, I've got 15 or 20 detectives in vests and raid shirts out here. Uh, oh, and if we have any concerns about safety, then you're going to get to meet the, the gray pants boys right before they, uh, before you meet the detectives. So, uh, you know, I think it comes down to a lot of different things, man, but going into deep diving into people's fetishes is, is a, Frighteningly interesting topic. I sat across from a guy one time. I had this guy, uh, um, uh, he was involved with a, a local school and he'd abused multiple children, uh, like, like, uh, teenage, uh, uh, children and trying to pick and choose my words carefully. The case is adjudicated, but again, I don't want to, don't want to dive too far into it. Um, and I sat across from him and I was like, so what, man, you're sexually attracted to these kids? Like, Help me understand that, dude. I, again, it would be disrespectful of me to sit here and tell you I understand. I don't. Help me understand. Help me make this make sense. Uh, give me insight. And he was one of the rare ones who was willing to talk to me. I think he realized, like, well, gigs up now. I mean, I might as well. No secrets. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that he was completely honest with me, but um, he was surprisingly honest with me. And he got to a point, man, and I, where he was like, yeah, I don't really know that I can't explain it. And that's why I asked him that, like, are you sexually attracted to children? He was like, no, 
No, I don't think so. It's more of like a, a lust thing. Like what? Okay, well, you and I may have different definitions of lust, but you're talking about lust. I say sexual attraction, tomato, tomato. And he was like, no, 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 it's different. I'm like, well, you got kids, right? Kids of your own? Yeah. Are you sexually attracted to them? Oh, no. Do you lust for your own children? No, 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 no. Okay, so you have these kids at one point in time. You have two kids. They're not twins. It's reasonable that you had sex with your wife at least twice. Yeah. Okay, so you were sexually attracted to your wife. Yeah. And then you engaged in sex with these teenage boys. Oh, well, you just wouldn't understand. You're damn right. I don't understand. I'm trying to understand. It's just not fucking working, <laughs> right? Um, and in his mind, he had justified every act that he did of helping these kids. I'm helping them identify and realize their sexuality and helping them so that they're confident in the bedroom when it comes time for them to engage in sex with their girlfriend. Fuck off. Like I just sat there completely flabbergasted uh, that, that he was even a, that I was appreciative that he was opening up to me, but that he just sat there for the better part of an hour and tried to justify everything that he was doing. Really? It was like, even now, dude, and it is like two years removed, almost three years removed from that investigation, and I'm still just stunned by when I think back on that on that case. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I don't I don't know how many times we've had a case like that where it's a married man with kids. Uh, I mean, I can think oh, yeah. of I can think of at least five that I was f- there for and have some knowledge on the case without getting into specifics, but. I mean, it is astonishing that you got married, you were attracted to your wife, obviously, because you procreated, you have two kids, and now now somehow you're attracted to kids. That That's the part I struggle with. And and, and for me, kind of going back to the original question, I, I don't know how else to explain it. You know, I think we can say things like boredom and, you know, you're stuck at home and and I think all of that plays into it. And I think I think we also have a problem on our hands with, with society you know, just the access to the internet, pornography being used, you know, and abused like any other vice in life, you know, like any other drug, people are abusing that, consuming way too much of it. And I wonder if you're getting bored with the normal, you know, male and female sex scene. I, I don't know if that's it. I don't know if you're getting bored with, now I've gone down this rabbit hole, now this is my fed. I, I don't know if it's ingrained in you. I, I really don't know. Yeah, you're, you hit the nail on the head, man, and I'm glad you brought that up because that is absolutely part of it. You will see, if you access uh, you know, data uh, through, through search warrants, you dump phones, computers, internet search history, you will see this sort of like, you, you may not see a, an increase depending on the, the time frame that you're working in as far as uh, the the time frame of data that you are allowed to view, um, it can be limited due to your warrant, uh, the scope of your warrant. But you will see this like uh, this proclivity towards certain types of pornographic videos, and they're they're legally accessed, right? It's on the on the common porno websites, um, and then they get to a point where that's just not doing it for them anymore, and so they need to. Uh, it, it's it is like any other addiction, right? You get to a point where you know what, uh, that much meth isn't doing it for me anymore. I got to bump it up a little bit more. I got to bump it up a little bit more. I got to bump it up a little bit more. And the more heinous the act, the, the better, um, that, uh, that their high is right. The, it, it scratches that itch in a way that's never been scratched before. And it then just increases their addiction. Now they can't go below that level. They cannot return 
to what you might call quote unquote regular porn. Uh, and I, I remember at the beginning of, of the, uh, the pandemic, there was a meme going around uh, and it was like, all right, day three of the pandemic, I got to the end of Pornhub. And I, it, you know, ha ha ha. It was a joke in, in the moment. And I, I don't know that the person who created that was necessarily sexually deviant so much as, I mean, it, it's kind of funny. Um, but I think there's some truth to that with some of these folks that, that, commit these crimes that they got to a point where it's just not fucking doing it for them anymore. They've seen it all already. They've, you know, they're in their twenties, thirties, forties. They've been using the internet for 20, 30, 40 years. Um, every now and then, dude, we still, we go serve search warrants on houses of uh, like dudes in their sixties and we still find VHS porn, but it's in the garage covered in 80 fucking years of dust. Um, and meanwhile, they're running a high-end gaming computer, uh, you know, with the liquid cool and shit all through it and the 900 fans and the LEDs and all that shit. Uh, so, no, it, it absolutely, as you've just said, is, is because people get, uh, they're unable to, to meet their, the needs of their addiction. And instead of saying, <clears throat> I'm bored with this, or I think you, I think you explained it in, in much better way of, it's like I can't get high anymore because it's not doing doing it for me. Now I got to get into this fetish stuff. Now I got to get into something, like you said, more heinous, more heinous. Oh, okay, that's what's doing it for him. And I think that's, for, for me, that is the only thing that truly makes sense. If we look at society, if we look at, you know, obviously we're more privy to data in this day and age. Some of that, you know, useful, some of it, may not be factually uh, correct, but you know, we're, we have so much information at our disposal. So it's easy to say historically people weren't doing this, right? We obviously we can, we can point to that, but I think it is something where you're seeing it in this day and age of the internet, you know, look over the past like several decades where we've had access to this. There is obvious, signs of deterioration in, in some parts of our society and the human trafficking, the, the, you know, consumption of this heinous material online. I mean, you're just seeing it like crazy. And I'm glad things like, you know, you know, movies being made like Sound of Freedom. I'm glad there are documentaries being put out there. We're seeing it with the Epstein stuff. You know, I feel like it's more mainstream. My concern is it will die off. And I'm hoping that, you know, individuals that are dedicated to the cause, like I've mentioned a few, Saved in America, uh, Operation Underground Railroad, um, there's more, Exodus Road, Children of the Night. There's so many resources out there. It might might inspire some people to actually get out there and at the very least donate, you know, vet your, I you know, I say it all the time, vet your instructors, but you know, vet who you're donating to and make sure you understand where that money's going. But there's a lot of resources out there and hopefully those continue to grow and thrive and, and we start to see some, you know, some results from it. Absolutely. And I think there's something to be said for, I mean, the changes in society uh, just in the last 10 years or so. We've never been more capable of being aware of a problem. Uh, we have so much immediate access, which is in and of itself part of the problem is that these sexually deviant individuals can access this material so much faster than they once were able to. Um, but even then, it, you, you look at it and 
we're presented with all the data, we're presented with all the facts, but when these movies come out, they're accused of being this, like, all, somebody messaged me on Instagram when I, when I had posted that I'd watched this, and he was like, I didn't really catch on to the whole alt-right thing, like, how is this an alt-right, uh, you know, alternative right, high conservative film, and I don't think, it, it wasn't presented with any sort of political narrative, at least not in my opinion, I have seen plenty of things presented with political narrative, and quite frankly, this wasn't really one of them, uh, this should be a bipartisan issue. Um, and I mean, we could dive into the conspiracies, um, but the fact remains, it's documented. This is happening. And you, you saw, I mean, I, rem- I don't remember, I wasn't alive, but looking back on, uh, through the annals of history, you look at uh, the war on drugs, right? right? Reagan and, 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 and Nancy, uh, his wife, you know, very, very much towards the war on drugs, and we're going to combat the scourge of the drug epidemic in America. Um, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Uh, you've got first ladies of, of the United States putting their names behind some of these organizations or, or putting their names behind some of these causes, right? Uh, live aid uh, to bring attention and awareness and raise money towards the AIDS epidemic uh, back, I believe, in the early 80s. Where the fuck is that for these kids that are getting trafficked and used as, uh, quite frankly, as sex dolls, right? I mean, Arizona just recently, I think it was last year, this, I'll, take you, I'll take you for a spin on this one, man. Um, and I'm not sure if you guys have this out there or not. You'd have to look into your, into your statutes, your penal code. Uh, Arizona last year created a new law that if you are uh, caught using a simulation of a child, a sex doll made to look like a child, that is a felony offense in the state of Arizona. And my agency, I've been on a couple warrants where we found these, like, I mean, small sex dolls. They're sex dolls. But some of them are still wet when we get to them. And you're like, what in the Jesus Christ am I looking at right now? How is this a thing? And it was so prevalent across. It wasn't just my police department. It's so prevalent across the state of Arizona. We had to create a fucking law over it. And then let's get to the issue of there's somebody manufacturing these goddamn things that are truly childlike sex dolls. And then I start to get concerned because I think back to, you know, um, the Richard Ramirez's and the John Wayne Gacy's. And will we return to that? Uh, I mean, the, the, the movie-esque violence, right? I mean, the stuff that I, to, I say, I say that as a, um, they make stuff, they make movies and documentaries about, right? Sitting and, and listening to Gil Carrillo, the Lieutenant, uh, or at the time he was a detective for, uh, LA County Sheriff's in charge of the Night Stalker investigation in California. I can't help but wonder if we're going to get back to that level because you get people, again, we talk about this addiction, this itch that cannot be scratched. They have to keep increasing their levels in order to get that, you know, that much more high. They go from regular pornography to child sexual abuse material. Well, I would say they go from regular pornography to like excessively fetish pornography, uh, maybe even beast, excuse me, bestiality, um, child sexual abuse material. Do they then go into now they're accessing these childlike dolls to act out their fantasies in, in quote unquote real life, right? They are acting out these fantasies upon a doll, a simulation. Is it that much of a leap that they're going to try and kidnap a fucking kid? Or, and I will tell you this uh, from experience as an investigator, that they engage in these sex acts with their own children because that's happening. And nobody's really talking about it. Like you said, are we, we get it, are we getting all of this information and all of these movies to make us aware of this problem, but it's uncomfortable. I sit across the, the room from people. I meet police officers who are uncomfortable saying the word penis and uncomfortable saying the word vagina. My fucking four-year-old 
was taught the correct words for the body for his body parts. It's not a bad word. It's not an uncomfortable word. We we make it uncomfortable by the very sort of uh, notion or or the uh, the definition that we apply to it. Uh, I meet I meet people in their forties that won't refer to a vagina, but they'll call it a cupcake. Okay, well I can't charge somebody for touching a cupcake. I need you to tell me what the real word is. And they've like vapor locked. They don't want to talk about it. My when my son was in daycare, he was like uh, it was a year and a half, two years old. Um, and I had made the rule, like hard and fast rule with my wife that, hey, like our son is going to use the correct words for the parts of his body, period, end of fucking story. Because if somebody, God forbid, somebody touches my fucking child, I want him to be able to use the correct words and tell someone about it. Because I've been on the receiving end of like, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what that word means. Uh, and, and this little kid doesn't know what the proper word is. Uh, or a teenager just doesn't like to say the word. Um, my, uh, my son's daycare that one of the teachers pulled my wife aside and was like, Hey, everything okay at home. Like your son, um, said that he had to go pee and he was like, okay, I washed my hands because I need to wash my hands because I touched my penis, which is what we would say to him. Hey, you touched your penis. You need to wash your hands. And my wife looks at her and she was like, yeah, my husband's a sex crimes detective who, who works child investigations. We, our son uses the correct words, and the teacher was like, what? So it's just, you know, it, it, it's just this, like, what the fuck have we done as society? And, and, and more importantly, what are we doing as parents, or what are we failing to do as parents? Kevin, a, it's a, a wee-wee, man. Me. It's a wee-wee. It's, yeah, not... <laughs> it's, it's a wee-wee, dude. It's a tallywhacker, bro. <laughs> I, had a, I had a 16-year-old sit across from me, and, and I have to commend her mom, because it was finally, you know, so many cases I get, man, and you just sit there and you're like, what are the parents doing? And look, this girl was sneaking out and she was doing her level best to get away with things without her mom knowing, but her mom clued in on some, on some changes in behavior, on some suspicious text messages, talked to her daughter about what happened and ended up leading me to an investigation. Uh, and this is going down a slightly different rabbit hole as far as like cooperation of victims, especially teenage victims is extremely challenging. Uh, it's easier for me to sit and talk with an eight-year-old uh, than a 16 year old and you know the hormonal changes I remember I was a shitty high school I wasn't a shitty high school student but I had a fucking attitude on me uh, I'm sure well, at least if you ask my parents I'm sure um, and it seems like that's magnified now because you get the you know I'm watching the Instagram videos uh, or they're watching whatever the fuck on YouTube and and it's like oh that's the way that that's the cool way to act or that's how kids act I'm gonna act like that asshole um, you know that asshole kid on on TV or whatever and I, I looked at this girl and I go at the end of our interview, I'm like, hey, I have to ask you if, and she cut me off and she says, no. And she'd been a smart ass throughout the entire interview. And, and so I was like, okay, humor me. You already answered a question that I didn't even ask. And she goes, you were going to ask me if my mom found out, if my mom hadn't found out, would I be in here right now? And the answer is no. And dude, I didn't even know how to respond because she exactly hit my question. She like read my mind, freaked me out a little bit. She read my goddamn mind. And her response was, I'm making money and it takes me five minutes in regards to what she was doing with this dude. I'm like, uh, I mean, I can't argue that. Um, you're saying it only takes you five minutes, okay? And you're saying it makes you money. More money than you would have ever made as a 16-year-old. Well, how the hell do we combat that? If not, that's not something the police can fight. That starts so much earlier, right? And that starts with parenting. And that starts with education in the schools. I remember throwing my fucking hands in the air being like, we need to get into our high schools. We need to get into assemblies. 
You need to walk into this, this school assembly and be like, stop sending nude images and stop fucking each other. End of, end of story. Or if you're, if you're going to have sex with each other, please, for the love of God, make sure it's consensual and be safe about it. And oh, by the way, in Arizona, if you're under the age of 16, you're not legally capable of consenting. Or excuse me, under the age of 18. Um, and I was, I was told, no, the schools don't let us come in anymore. Okay, well, what are they doing? I can guarantee you the answer is nothing. Because even the teachers that are out there that want to have these conversations are probably being stifled by the administration of their schools saying, no, we can't even talk about it. Okay, well, now the kids aren't getting education where they're supposed to go to get education. You can tell me that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, but you can't tell me that somebody that, that no means no, I don't know means no, I'm not sure means no, I'm scared means fucking no. But no, hey, good. I'm glad that we know the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell and that you can define sine, cosine, and tangent. Great fucking job, guys. That's exactly. Uh, it's going to come in a lot of handy this cosine season, right? Whereas these kids that I interact with every day are exposed to this shit, and it's only going to get worse. It's going to get worse before it gets worse, right? So that's me on my soapbox. I got a little angry on that one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back off the bourbon a little bit. So Kevin, what is what is it about this particular issue that is not bipartisan? What part of this is where the cops and the teachers can't get on the same page? What am I missing about, I guess, why this isn't a universal issue that we can all get behind and say, "Hey, what are we going to do about it?" So this comes down, I mean, just everything that I've said thus far is is my own opinion. I should have probably prefaced this entire show with that. I'll do that in the intro. Don't but that's worry. That's an interesting question. Fair enough. Fair enough. That is an interesting question. And if I had to put an answer to it, because I, I think when it comes down to it, man, I think a lot of teachers and a lot of cops, when it comes to this particular issue, probably are on the same page. But I've encountered parents, and I would, I would venture to guess there's some teachers in there um, and, and school administrative personnel that still want to live in this environment of Mayberry, and they still want to live in this environment of I'm going to put my head in the sand. We're not going to talk about it. It's not going to happen to my kid. Uh, I mean, I, dude, maybe it's probably because I work in the, in this, in this world, man, but I sit there, my son's four. He navigates his way around an iPad and his Amazon tablet. Grandma is very lim- limited use. Right. Um, but our, our kids are smarter than us. They're getting smarter than us faster than we can get smart, right? Uh, and that's a terrible way of wording that. But my son at four years old can navigate through, I can, like, we'll be at the dinner table. At, right, right, we can get into a whole other topic on screen time for toddlers. Um, but sometimes if I just want to be able to sit and talk with my mom uh, or uh, my dad, if we're at dinner with them, I can, only get to see them maybe once a month. And my son's carrying on like a monkey in a tree. Well, I know that if I put on, uh, like, Disney Plus or YouTube Kids, that he will just watch that and I can have some quiet time to just be in the moment. Um, but our kids are going to use that technology in their own favor, right? I mean, to the point where I've got evidence of kids, uh, not only are they engaging in sexual acts with each other, with adults, um, but they're, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, uh, going on to Venmo, they've already linked Venmo to their checking account, which they've linked to their direct deposit. And they're going on and, you know, hey, double click, face ID, cool, I just paid for my weed or I just paid for my vapes or my nicotine, whatever the case may be. But I think there's still an element of adult society that wants to pretend as though this isn't an issue. Or there, there's still an element, there is still an element of adult society 
and I would say this as a point of fact, that sits there and lets this become a, oh, this is just conservative, like fear mongering. This isn't nearly as epidemic as people think it is. No, certainly not. This is only, only MAGA Trump supporters deal with this. And that's so patently false because I live in the world. I work in the world. I work with some of the greatest fucking investigators on this planet. I would put them up again. I don't know how you could have a competition between detectives, but I would put my detectives that I work with against detectives from really anywhere else in the world. Um, and uh, I work with human trafficking detectives and I work with ICAC detectives. They see it, right? They see it far more frequently than I do. What, primarily what I investigate when it really comes down to it. Yes, I've had the odd uh, pseudo human trafficking case. I've had the odd ICAC, again, pseudo ICAC case. Uh, but mostly what I investigate are hands-on sexual offenses, uh, sexual assault, sexual conduct with a minor. Um, that's sort of my unit's wheelhouse, right? Um, it's not a Republican or a Democrat or a liberal or a conservative issue. This is a, a, a human issue. But there are people who are going to let this become a conservative fear tactic. Or, oh, you know, the liberals just don't want to participate in this. Let's just set all the political bullshit aside. I think if people realized that uh, setting the politics aside would make us all a lot fucking happier, we would genuinely be a happier society. Um, but you don't need to subscribe to what letter you vote next to to realize that this is an issue. Again, the information is out there. Go do your own research. It's not that hard. I, you and I are communicating we're, we're what, 4,000 miles apart, maybe 3,000 miles apart, something like that. And you and I are communicating real time through video chat. Uh, I also have the ability, I have a laptop in front of me, I could edit an entire video, uh, stream uh, a two-hour movie, uh, and communicate with a cousin of mine in England all at the same time. We've got this, like, these massively wonderful capabilities, right? For all, the, for all the negative things that we've talked about and all this immediate access, to human trafficking and to child sexual abuse material. Uh, the, the internet can do us a lot of good. Go do your own research. It, it doesn't need to be one size issue more than the other. Again, we all need to come together and work through this. So when you, when you ask about, you know, what makes it challenging to work through, I genuinely believe, you know, that, that it's, it's um, choosing sides in, in the political realm. And uh, I believe it's making this, a partisan issue or a, a, a you know, uh, yeah, partisan issue. Um, and I think there's an element of, if I don't see it, it's not happening. I used to tell people, um, and not necessarily in the nicest of ways. I, 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 I use the same, the same uh, motto, but I've, I've learned, I've matured, and I look at it a little bit differently. I used to tell people, you know what, my reality is very different from yours. And I used to say it with this sort of like, so don't fucking tell me that this isn't happening. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that my reality is very different from my neighbor across the street. And that should be okay because he should not, he and his wife and their daughter should not have to be exposed to the things that I encounter. They shouldn't have to be exposed to the same things that, that our victims are exposed to. Nobody should have to be exposed to it. It's not, it certainly is not a requirement. Um, the unfortunate reality with, free will and, and the fact that there are just going to be people who exhibit sexually deviant behavior is that these behaviors and these criminal acts are occurring. Um, 
but that shouldn't be their, you know, my neighbor's burden. That being said, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is ignorance. People need to be extremely aware of what's going on around them. You need to be involved in your kid's life, um, your kid's lives. I, I don't, I'm sure if I thought I should get my parents on here, they'd probably have all sorts of times when they were like, yeah, we had to keep tabs on you and the internet and blah, 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 blah. Um, and I think that there's also a, a movement and we've discussed it amongst, you know, my peers and I, of parents who want to be friends as opposed to parents. Um, I love my son. My son has, my son has told me I'm his best friend, which is an awesome feeling when your four year old looks at you and goes, daddy, you're my best friend. I don't, that's indescribable how that made me feel. But shit, man, 10 years from now, he's probably going to be like, are you fucking serious? Like my dad, the cop is up my ass about this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, dude, I am. But the difference is, is that also, I mean, take the time to explain it to your kids. They might not want to hear it, but years later, it's probably going to come back and resonate with them at some point in time. Hey, I act the way I act. Hey, I am as strict as I am. Um, and you don't need to exist. Hey, we're not having computers in the house. No, that's, that's stupid, right? You just need to educate your kids. Again, your kids are going to get the information one way or another, right? When I was growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, it was gun violence. My dad was a gun owner. Okay, well, instead of these mystical, magical things that we're not going to talk about until you fucking go find one in the gun safe or in a drawer somewhere and pull the trigger on it, not realizing it's loaded because you don't know how to check and clear a loaded weapon, let's take you to the range. Let's get you professional instruction. Hey, let's talk about these issues with you. I, wor I worked with a guy in sex crimes for uh, uh, two and a half years. He, he left, thank God, to go become one of our school resource officers. And I'm so happy that he's taking his like seven or eight years of experience and taking it into a school where he can have a measurable impact. And I believe he can be proactive, which is not something that we're generally afforded in sex crimes investigations or in human trafficking investigations or in ICAC investigations. Yes, there's an element where you know, undercover detectives can be utilized, but that's, that's one small part. Unfortunately, so much of what we do is reactive in nature, whereas he gets the opportunity to get out in front of it in the school. But he's got a great relationship with his three kids. Uh, I think one of them, maybe two are teenagers. Um, but even with his teenage daughter, there's still an open conversation there. There's no like, oh, we got to keep secrets about this. And, oh, we're not going to say these. Oh, we can't, we can't say the word vagina. No, there's none of that, right? You can't say the word penis. None of that. Hey, what's going on at school? Everything okay? But, but care more than that, right? Don't just sit there and go, hey, how was school today? Yeah, I was all right. All right, cool. Well, I'll see you later. Peace. I'm going to go back to go drink box. I'm going to go out to the cigar bar or go golfing, whatever the case may be. Get, get involved in your kid's life. Ask them questions, right? Let them know that they can talk to you. Uh, a buddy that I work with, he and his nine-year-old, go for a walk, um, not every day, but like every other day. And it's just him and his nine-year-old. And he's like, I don't, hey, hey, it's time to go for our walk. And some days it's more grumbling than others. But inevitably, most of the time, his son gets up and goes for a walk with him. And he's like, I don't even really talk to him. The first 10 minutes, it's just, you know, it's just us, talk, it's just us walking. And he might ask me how, how work's going and I'll ask him how school's going. And then inevitably, like 15 minutes goes by. And it's, hey, dad, I got a question. Or, hey, dad, this thing happened at school. It's just it, it, it's not that hard to give a fuck about your kid. It really is. And there's somebody who's going to probably pop off in the comments about me saying that. But, uh, I mean, that's the truth of the matter. Um, I, I don't envy parents who are put into positions 
of having to go into advocacy centers because their kids got, uh, you know, sexually trafficked or exploited or whatever the case may be. Um, I, I don't. And, and I know that with a lot of them, especially single parent households, you're just doing the best you can to keep your head above water. Um, and I think that that's where, again, we come back to the schools need to, you get into a political realm of we're not going to have SROs in schools. We're not, I don't want cops anywhere near schools. You're only policing my students. You're not helping them. Look, I'm not going to deny that that's a reality, certainly in some places more than others. Um, policing as a whole, it, it's, that ship takes a long time to turn, but we are turning it. Let us come in and, and work to help, again, to help educate your students. Because, brother, this is not a, a one-size-fits-all solution. Um, it is not. None of us are Superman. None of us have all the answers. No single one individual is capable of preventing these crimes from occurring. We have got to work together. You've got to bring in the cops. You've got to bring in the parents. You've got to bring in the teachers and the school administration. If, if you were talking about heading this up uh, or heading this off, rather, at, at that, that youthful level when, unfortunately, we see so many of these um, activities taking place. Um, I don't offhand have a solution for the, you know, 40-year-old dude eating waffle sticks in his mom's basement downloading CSAM, um, other than to send somebody from HSI to take with lock and bulldoze him out of a chair, you know? <laughs> um, uh, I don't. Um, I had a guy look at me once on a warrant after he'd been hooked for that and was like, hey, can we just call this a slap on the wrist and be done with it? And I was like, dude, we're way fucking past that point. The fact that that was his response was like, okay, all right, I get it. Uh, my bad. Just slap me on the wrist, send me back inside with all my shit, and I, I promise not to do this again. Nah, bro. We're, we're past that point. You simply saying, hey, just give me a slap on the wrist, that to me is you acknowledging that you did something wrong. And again, justified how you might, oh, I never touched a kid. Okay, hey, cool, you didn't touch a kid, but you're sure as shit watching videos of a three-year-old getting vaginally penetrated. Right? That's an uncomfortable sentence to say. It's uncomfortable for your listeners to hear. That shit is out there. I have seen it. And the people who are engaging in this, they work at your grocery store. They work at your bank. Every time we roll up to a house on a warrant, Josh, the neighbors are fucking shocked. And we don't tell them what we're there for. Right? What's going on? Search warrant service. Oh, really? Is he okay? He's the nicest guy in the world. Uh, yeah, he's, I mean, he's, he's alive. He's okay in that respect, you know, like, uh, but it, Usually you don't even engage with them, you know, to that level. Like, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's just, you know, police stuff. We can't really talk about it. I'm sorry, ongoing investigation. But inevitably, right, you know, word gets out. Somebody says something. One neighbor, you know, picks up on something that, that the other neighbor didn't know. And you, you don't realize that this stuff is happening literally next door to you. It's not, as I said at the beginning, this is not limited to, oh, yeah, I, you know, time was, man, it, like, it was a fetish, but it was, it was almost legal, right? You paid the right people in some of these foreign countries. You got access to kids. And it was just sort of swept under the rug, and it, it wasn't looked at. And in some places, it wasn't illegal, right? It's not a crime to be investigated, depending on their societal norms. But it's happening here. I see it every day, right? If not in my own investigations, then in investigations in other units within my department. We're a city of, uh, of under half a million people, and it's happening, right? It's happening in, in little towns, you know, one-stoplight towns everywhere. It doesn't just happen in Los Angeles and Phoenix and New York and Dallas. It's everywhere. I mean, you know, 
your explanation of it is is spot on, and I think it, like you said, it is an uncomfortable conversation, but it's an important one to have, and that's why I wanted to bring you on. That's why I wanted to have you on here because you can shed some insight on some things that I definitely can't. You know, I can give my account of various uncomfortable things that I've seen, but it's not you know in depth. It's not it's not that deep dive that I wanted to get into with you today, and I cannot thank you enough for being here. I think. At the at the conclusion of this conversation, <clears throat> and you kind of touched on it, was be a good freaking person. Take care of what you know, regardless of, of of your family structure. Take care of your family. Take care of your friends. And if you're gonna have a kid, raise them right. You know, and, and there's a lot of different ways that that looks, but give a crap like you said, and and do what you can for your kid so that they know right from wrong, so that they know, so they can be a good contributing member of society we kind of joke about it <clears throat> excuse me we joke about it it's like i'm having a kid i'm you know one for the good guys you know you know we want to raise our kids right you know we got we want to we want to offset you know the amount of bad parents out there unfortunately and in a lot of cases you know when you're dealing with your you, you know your use you know that you um that you were talking about earlier it's the apple doesn't fall far from the tree in many cases and just be an example for those people and like you said, we're not going to solve this thing, but hopefully, you know, conversations like this bring light to it and people at least acknowledge it, that it's a thing and they can go out and make the determination on how they best want to handle it going forward. Kevin, I want to thank you for coming on, man. I cannot thank you enough. You gave me an opportunity to come on your podcast when we were just starting the business. So I cannot thank you enough for coming back on. And uh, it was great having the conversation with you. Hey man, and I appreciate the hell out of you, and I'm glad to see you success with Forks Frontier and all the good, that you, all the uh, good work you've been doing, man. And thank you for having me on the show and giving me the opportunity. I don't often get up on a soapbox. I especially I shy away from talking about, you know, investigations and whatnot. And even today, I I, I simply can't get into the specifics uh, as much as people might want to know it. Um, the fact of the matter is, for every documentary out there, there's a thousand cases just like it that that nobody talks about. Uh, it, it it really is like. You know, I get home. If I get home from work every day. I, I I park my car. I walk into my house, and uh, uh, like I, I closed an investigation today. There's going to be another one in its place tomorrow, right? It, it's just the nature of the beast. I, I encourage police officers, um, if you're wanting to get into the realm of investigations, sexual crimes are, are extremely challenging to investigate, um, uh, and and can be very very um, rewarding. Um, and, and perhaps rewarding is, is a very self-serving word to use. Um, I, I went to a, uh, sentencing hearing at the beginning of last year. Um, and, and I wasn't sure if I was going to go, but that dude tried to gun down one of our task force guys and, and didn't succeed. Uh, he didn't get killed in the process and he's going to spend, uh, probably the rest of his life or, or at least a good chunk of it, uh, in prison. And I, I wanted to go, uh, and, uh, the mother of the victim came up to me after the hearing. Um, didn't even realize that it was me because so much time, uh, the unfortunate reality, so much time had passed. Um, gave me a hug and said, thank you. And I was like, well, hell. Um, that guy, when I worked with uh, with a couple other organizations in the state to get this dude, you know, 30-year delayed disclosure coupled with some of his uh, more recent crimes that he was committing. Um, that same girl who sat there and, and sort of was – only half joking, I'm sure, about how, oh, you were only a toddler when this even happened to me. Uh, she called me up and, and just wanted to, to thank me and all of my teammates that had helped along the way. Um, 
And so I, I see too many cops going, there's no fucking way that I would do that job. And I was one of them. I was. Uh, and I maintain, again, as I said at the beginning, if you told me in 2018 that I was going to be a sex crimes investigator, I'd have told you you were out of your damn mind. Um, but I encourage you to take a second look at it. If, if it's ever crossed your mind, if, if your department has an ICAC unit or a sex crimes unit or a human trafficking unit, um, there's, there's a little something for everyone and it's necessary work to be done. Um, I, I'm leaving sex crimes after three years. It's, it's a break for me and for my mental health. Um, I, I've tried to do my best throughout my career to recognize when I'm going to hit a limit. Uh, and I think I'm at that point now. Uh, there are some investigations that don't sit well with me, um, that, that the disclosures are, are there rattling around in my brain. And so it's time for me to move on from this. Uh, but it was a struggle to move on because I, I look at the, the stellar people that I work with and the good people that came before me uh, and, and the people that are going to come after me, right? There's an officer in our patrol division who's coming in to take my spot. I leave the 28th and he starts the 28th. Um, and one thing that as police officers, we are drawn to service. Um, and I think so many of us recognize that, that saying of, if not me, then who? Uh, and that saying that reality carries on into, into these investigations, uh, into crimes against children, into exploitation and trafficking. Um, it's an evil that's out there. It's going to require people who are willing to face that evil. Um, and, and so I'd encourage anybody who, who said absolutely not hell. No, not a, not, not a chance in hell. Take another look at it. Go and shadow that unit. If, uh, if that's something that your agency allows and just take a look for yourself, right? Don't let me tell you all about it. Um, uh, I mean, I would give you the good and bad and the ugly. If somebody has any questions, by all means, DM me. We can talk offline. Um, I can I can go up, uh, you know, a little bit more into into some detail on some cases, um, uh, just to kind of give give officers who are thinking about going into that world as much information as possible. I mean, it's had an impact on me and my family. I've got four on call days left, dude. I, I said that in passing to my wife and son before I came on the show. I'm going to be on call tomorrow, and I was like, uh, my my son goes, he was like, oh, and I was like, I know, buddy, but I only got four left. And he goes, and then you don't have to go to work at night anymore. You can just stay home with mommy and me. I'm like, dude, my my son's four, and he's already picked up on that, you know. Um, my son also knows his ABCs in in like seven languages, and none of that is me teaching him. So he's just he just picks up on on things a little bit differently. But the work is valuable, man. I work again with some truly awesome detectives uh, who have taught me a lot about about my uh, uh, my capabilities and my skills as an investigator. Uh, I've learned a lot. It's good that I can take back to the road uh, when I do head back to patrol at some point in time. Um, and uh, I look forward to uh, to the rest of the career. And and uh, yeah, I don't think I got anything anything more than I think I can come off my soapbox now after after almost two hours, man. I appreciate the hell out of you letting me come on and uh, yammer away and, and talk your ear off. No, I, I, I'm so glad we were able to reconnect and, you know, wish you the best of luck going into your new venture. Kiss the kid for me. And, uh, Kevin, can't thank you enough, man. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely, brother. Take it easy, man. Thank you so much for listening. Your support means everything to us. And to show our gratitude for that support, if you guys leave us a review on Amazon, Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening to this podcast from, leave us a review and it will automatically enter you into a chance to win a free Stealth 2.0 plate carrier from Shellback Tactical. Simple as that, guys. We cannot thank you enough for the support. And this show is a fun opportunity for us to give you a little bit more insight on who we are at Force Frontier and hopefully to talk about important topics that you guys find relevant in your lives as protectors. We plan on putting out a ton of episodes 
So with that, guys, we're going to leave you. And we will see you on the next episode.